unless you are just so comfortable that you, you couldn't stand it, is there any chance that some of you could move up a little bit? Because some, some others are going to be joining us. Joining us. And um, so if you just can't stand it, then you can stay where you are. But if you move up a little bit, it'll be a little bit more cozy for us here. Um, <clears throat> this morning, uh, we are calling this, this is our first annual Global Outreach Sunday. And this is our theme all day uh, today and uh, during our worship service in particular. And so we as a church, and you'll hear more about this during the worship service, we are um, now officially supporting three different uh, missionary families. And um, we're going to get to hear about uh, two of them and hear from one of them this morning. So uh, this morning we have Mark and Jess Stuckey are with us. And uh, I, I went through seminary with Mark. We literally started and ended on the same days uh, together. So that was fun. He helped me stay awake in Greek exegesis, which was great. What he's going to do this morning, they're just going to kind of share their story. He is a third-generation missionary from Brazil, uh, an American. What do you call that when you're an American but you grew up in Brazil? He doesn't know. We're going to coin a new term this morning. But this morning, he's just going to share his story with you. Uh, Both of them are, and I think you'll enjoy this. And then uh, he's going to open it up for a QA. and a um, as we're going to talk about later this morning, it's, it's highly important for the health of our church to always look beyond our walls, and this is one way to do this. So this is an informal time this morning, and you're welcome to ask questions at the end when he opens it up for that. But let's pray real quick, and then we'll invite Mark up to share with us. Our Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for uh, Jesus being so diligent and brave and obedient to you to pay for our sins. We're so thankful to you that you love the world so much that you sent your only, your unique, your one and only son. We're thankful to you for that. We're thankful to you that you have left us here, Lord, to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And we pray that that would be our aim this morning. Thank you for Mark and Jess. We pray that you would give them uh, uh, words and courage this morning. Thank you that they are uh, willing to come visit with us. We pray for listening ears and receptive hearts. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Come on up, Mark. Well, good morning. Uh, we, are, we are so excited to be with you here this morning, and we really have been looking forward to this uh, ever since Pastor Steve and I were talking about missions way back last year sometime, in August or September, but... Um, I do need to share that uh, my first encounter with Pastor Steve, we were in Old Testament survey class together and uh, in seminary, and uh, we were both taking notes, and I was just thrilled by this class, and after a few days, I turned next to him, and I said, man, I've taken so many pages of notes, I have like 10 pages of notes, this is awesome, and he looked back at me, and he said, yeah, I have about eight sermons already, I'm going to preach through one sermon on every book of the Bible, uh, and and that was, that was <laughs> seriously, that was a turning point for me in seminary to realize that the education wasn't just for me to learn and grow, but it was for me to help train others and pass that on to others. And that was a really helpful change in my mindset uh, from that class onward of not only how can I learn this better, but how can I then teach this to others and even taking notes in sermon format. That was a new concept. Uh, so I'm so thankful for the friendship that we have. Uh, for the Sunday school hour, 
uh, my wife and I would like to share our story with you and uh, just what God has done and what he continues to do in our lives. And I'm going to have her stand up real quick, and then that way you know who she is. This is Jess, and uh, we've been married for three and a half years. So it'll be four years in July. And so we're, we're so blessed to the Lord for that. And we do have a little one on the way, and we're rejoicing that a little baby boy will be born in August. So we're excited. Um, when, whenever I'm with a group of people, and I just, <laughs> right now it's a lot of faces, right? I don't know, actually don't even know names yet. Um, but behind every face is a story. And when, it's in, when, when I'm in a church setting, it's even more exciting because every story behind that face is a story of God's amazing grace and work in someone's life. And it's a testimony of what he has done and, and how he has brought you to where you are today. And so this, this morning, I hope that as we share our stories, uh, you'll get to, to be encouraged by what God has done in our lives. And it will be a story ultimately of God's grace and God's mercy and his patience and kindness towards us. Um, but just to, to put our minds in a, in a proper frame or a proper mindset, I just want to open up with two scriptures that I think really um, show why it's so important to share our testimonies with one another. And I'll just read them to you. First Timothy 1, 15 and 17 is the first uh, passage, and it says this. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And in this, this passage, I see two reasons. First, I see that when we share our testimony, it serves as an example of God's patience and kindness towards the non-believer. So those who have not yet believed, when they hear our testimony of how God saved us, an example to them that the same power that saved us is also powerful enough to save them. But then for believers, it's a call to worship. It's a call to praise and exalt our eternal, immortal, invisible God, the only true one, because he, he alone deserves all glory and honor for what he has done in our lives. But the other passage is Titus 3, 8. And uh, this one was a little more recent for me that I... It really caught my attention. Titus 3 really gives a powerful gospel explanation. And then Paul finishes this way. He says, It's a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. And so here, it's also for believers. And it's an exhortation to believers, to engage in good deeds, to do what is pleasing to the Lord. And so once we know that Christ has saved us, it should then compel us, because of the love displayed by Christ towards us, compel us to then love others and to serve Christ with all of our lives. So I pray that these purposes will be accomplished this morning, that as we share our life story, that it will, uh, if there's anyone who's a non-believer in here, that they will hear the gospel and know that God is powerful unto salvation. And for we who are believers, that'll be a, a reason to praise our God and also to encourage one another 
to stimulate one another on to love and good deeds. Um, so I, I'm going to start off with, with, my, with my testimony. Um, I was born in Brazil. I, I consider that an immense blessing and privilege. My grandparents were missionaries. My parents were missionaries. And I'll talk a little bit about them uh, later on this morning. But I had the privilege of growing up in a missionary home. I got to see the gospel preached on a regular basis. I got to see the gospel lived out before me on a regular basis. I got to be involved in church from a very young age, helping out with Sunday school or helping out with greeting or later on with music and even later on in high school with teaching and preaching. And so a huge blessing. And so uh, God was so kind to to show me my sinfulness at a very young age. And, and um, I'll say I, I did make a profession of faith when I was only four years old, but I'm not staking my eternal security on that. I know that my eternal security is not based on some decision or some prayer that I made, but it's based on Jesus Christ and his blood that covers me and his righteousness that covers me. But at a very young age, um, God, God opened my eyes uh, to his truth. And although it was very simple, um, I believe that, that that was a point that he began working in my life and showing me more and more of what the gospel is and what it means to live for him. And uh, growing up throughout elementary and high school, I was in a missionary kid's school, and it was a small school, and I'm thankful for the teaching there and the, the teachers that poured into my life and showed me uh, the importance of, of living for Christ and also of being diligent in school and working hard in that area. Uh, I think, as most missionary kids, when you get around that junior high to high school age, a little bit of rebellion starts to settle in, a little bit of discontentment, you know, especially for a missionary kid. You're in a foreign country, and uh, after a few visits back to the U.S., you feel like you realize you're probably missing out on a few things, especially when it comes to technology and other things like that, and and so... And junior high actually became uh, a little bit bitter, and, and I was discontent with where God had me. Um, I, I didn't want to be in Brazil, and uh, the way I expressed that was uh, actually kind of pushing myself away from people. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to serve. But at the same time, I wanted to keep up that front, and so I, I put on a show on the outside, but on the inside and at home, it wasn't good. You know, I, I wasn't uh, being faithful. I wasn't living out the gospel the way I should. And so in eighth grade, uh, we had a high school retreat, and it was in the year 2000, and um, the, the speaker went through the Romans Road, and that rocked my world, and I'm so thankful that God brought that, that man. I don't even remember who it was. I just remember uh, what he spoke on, and the Romans Road starts in Romans 3.23, that we have all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. And we are all in desperate need of a Savior. But Romans 5 is so comforting. 5, 8 says that while we were still helpless, we have to realize that we are in that helpless state. While we were still helpless, God reached out and demonstrated his own love for us by sending his son to die in our place. And so once we understand that, Romans 6, 23 becomes rich because we realize that the wages, what we've been earning, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what we have earned. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Romans 8, 1, if you're in Christ, there is no more condemnation. 
And so we can stake our life on that. We can stake our faith in that. In Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you will be saved. And then Romans 12 is what really hit home for me. I had heard the gospel multiple times, but for some reason there had been a disconnect between the message of the gospel and how it should change my life. And then Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you or I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God being that salvation, that amazing salvation that he has given to us, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable unto God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. I think that's when the light turned on. That the gospel isn't just a message that we hear, but it's a message that we hear and then it transforms our lives. And I think I've added to the, <laughs> the Romans road because now I like to go on to chapter 13 and verse 14. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And that was another turning point for me, realizing that that battle against sin really starts with an affection for Christ. And that I want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ first and make that a priority in my life. And once my love for him is so strong, the appeal of sin in the world will not be as strong. And so that was really a turning point in my life. And, and I really praise the Lord for showing those things to me. And so high school was an amazing time period. Um, I started doing um, missions trips with my my parents whenever we had weekends or uh, vacations, we would actually go interior, and I would do object lessons early on. Later on, I would get to to teach. Um, my dad was just a church planner at heart and an amazing teacher, and also worked in the seminary in Brazil for 20 years, was the president, and started that up. So I had a great teacher, and he taught me homiletics in high school of uh, how to study the Word of God and how to preach, so I was blessed in that way. And... Um, so when I came to the United States for college, I came to the Master's College in 2005 and uh, pursued a, a major Bible exposition. My heart was, was there. It was with Brazil. I wanted to go back. I wanted to bring the gospel message to these people once again. I wanted to serve alongside of my parents and then wherever else God would have me or take me. And uh, it's during college that I met my future wife and... Uh, and also got in, plugged into our home church, which is Church of the Canyons. I can't thank God enough for the investment that church has made. Uh, when I think of my college and my seminary uh, days, I realize that half of that education at least came from the church and putting into practice what I was learning in the classroom and making it very, very practical. Um, so uh, I graduated from seminary uh, last year. I need to hurry up because we're running out of time. I graduated from seminary last year and uh, then applied to Brazil Gospel Fellowship Mission. And uh, I've been pursuing that together with my wife to be missionaries to South Brazil to join my parents to work in church planning, leadership training, and we'll definitely be talking more about that in a, in a little bit. Um, but now I want to ask my wife, and she's going to share her testimony with you. Her testimony is... Um, the same, and that it's God who saves, but totally different in her background. So, Hi. <laughs> um, 
for some reason I had in my mind that 50 people would look like 15. And then when, I, when they said, oh, and we'll get you a mic, I then started becoming very nervous. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it really is, like Mark said, a joy to be here with you guys today. And um, fun to see some faces we went to school with. Uh, so that's been really cool, too. Um, but yeah, like Mark said, our testimony is the same in that it's um, the gospel of Jesus that saved us, but very different. Um, I did not grow up in Brazil. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and my parents, um, unfortunately, are still not believers. I'm the only Christian in my family right now. I first Christian, praying. <laughs> God can save. Um, but just God in his grace had it that my parents wanted to put us, um, my brother and I, in Christian school. So from elementary school, um, I was in a Christian school. I was hearing the gospel. So you know, like the first grader, I heard you're a sinner, <laughs> Jesus died on the cross, believe in him, and you'll go to heaven and not the scary place, hell. And I'm like, okay, done. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was hearing the gospel from a young age and all the Bible stories, and I'm just so thankful for that. Um, but uh, because it wasn't being solidified at home and we weren't going to church, it was kind of like a double, double life, um, even in elementary school. Uh, but my parents, they divorced when I was um, about seven years old, and my mom had left my dad and went on to, uh, for up until recently to just abuse a series of substances and um, just really run hard away from the Lord and away from her family. Um, but God was even kind in that because through, her, through that divorce, um, I many of the Christian teachers and my friends' parents uh, really just took hold of me, and I was in their house, and um, again, hearing the gospel and seeing it lived out. Um, in sixth grade, I found out I wouldn't be able to go to Christian school anymore, and I was devastated. All of my friends were there, um, but I decided, hey, I don't want to lose my friends, so I'll go to church with them. <laughs> so again, just God's kindness um, in allowing me to be able to go to church and um, youth group and continue to hear the word and my heart was soft to it so um, similar to what Mark said when he was young he did make a profession of faith and I think um, God was definitely working in my life all of those years but it wasn't until high school we got a new youth pastor and he started um, preaching on the holiness of God and um, we were one day in the Beatitudes and he was talking about what it means to be poor in spirit and um, he said, when you're poor in spirit, you, you realize that you have nothing you can bring to the table. And he said, um, that word poor is of a beggar who knows he d can't have anything to contribute, can't even, um, doesn't even have the ability to, like, go and say, hey, can you help me out? He just sits with his head covered <laughs> and arm out. And he's like, that's our condition before the Lord. Like, we can't. Um, earn his favor or bring anything to the table. We need him to reach out to us and um, pull us into life. And that's when it really clicked for me um, because of all my family instability. And um, I wanted to be the good kid so that everyone in my family would like me and that would be okay. So I thought I could do that with God. I thought, okay, I can be the good kid <laughs> to God. I can read my Bible. I can go to church. I can um, memorize verses and that will be enough but when um, he was, our pastor was preaching on the holiness of God, and he used that illustration, I realized I can't be enough. Um, and that was a huge turning point in my life. Even my unbelieving friends um, in high school saw a big difference. Because there's just so much freedom when you realize 
um, like God's word says, that we can't, um, we can't earn it, but Christ did pay the penalty of our sin, and he paid it in full, and that's our confidence. Um, and so then, instead of striving to please God, um, I, <laughs> I mean, there's freedom to then um, obey him, knowing that Christ has covered your sin. Um, so that was really, really huge for me. I think that's when God saved me. And I like to go to just a little bit before the Mark read Titus 3, 8, but uh, I just love Titus Three verses four through um, seven. Uh, it just really hit me. Like this is what the Lord opened my eyes to. It's when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, whom He poured out richly um, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, and I just really see that. Well, that's the gospel, but it's fun to look back and be like, that's what the Lord did, and open my eyes to. Um, so after being saved in 10th um, grade, I heard about the Master's College through my youth pastor and visited and decided I wanted to go there. And um, also after being saved, <laughs> Mark just found this out last week, but I was watching those um, late-night infomercials, and a Feed the Children one came on, and it clicked that there are people all over the world dying who haven't heard the gospel. So through an infomercial, I felt a call to missions, which is a little ridiculous, I know, but um, God uses lots of things. So that's when I began to pray that the Lord would just make me willing to go anywhere, whether that would be here or overseas. Um, after marrying Mark, I knew that God had me to go to Brazil, and I'm really excited about that and um, excited that he gets to come back up and share a little bit about that with you guys. <laughs> yeah. When you think of the gospel, when you think of the power of the gospel and the salvation and the, and the love of Christ displayed, a verse that has just really challenged us is Second Corinthians five fourteen. It says the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so when we contemplate the love of Christ displayed towards us, it has a controlling effect on our life and realize that we can no longer live for ourselves. This is no longer our life to decide, but it's ultimately God. We want to live for him and do what he desires. And, and I was thinking of uh, a powerful illustration with this. And when I was in the Amazon jungle, the Amazon River is a very powerful river. And uh, when traveling that river, there's portions of the river where the current is, is very, very strong because the banks are high, and they've, as they narrow in, the current gets stronger, and you can feel the force and impact of that. And then there's other parts of the Amazon where that, the, the banks get lower and lower until eventually they're, they're not there, and it's just huge marshy land that's just stagnant and useless. And when I think of the love of Christ, the impact it should have, it should be like the banks of that river where they where it hems in the water and allows it to be a powerful force to be used by God. And when we, allow that, when we get distracted by all the other things of this world and, and things that come into our lives and the, that, that focus goes away and those banks go down, and then our life can become stagnant and somewhat unproductive as we've distracted ourselves with so many things. And so as we've contemplated the gospel and we've thought about the love of Christ, we've, we've felt compelled 
to, to missions. And when we think of missions, it's, it's someone who not only imparts the gospel, but also their very own lives. I see that in the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he said he had such an affection for them. He was well pleased to not only impart the gospel, but also our own lives because you are dear to us. And so it's a commitment and an investment that's going to cost us our lives and will last a lifetime. And I'm thankful that this approach to missions was modeled both by my parents and grandparents who, who went before me. And they really did give their lives, and they continue to do so. And I wanted to share just a little bit about their lives uh, just to encourage you this morning because I, I really believe they're, they're a true example of self-sacrifice, of endurance, of faith, and of love and obedience to God's call upon their lives. Uh, my grandpa and grandma went down to Brazil in 1953 and 1954. They actually weren't married until they were on the field. And it's, it's a little bit ironic, but when they first got there, they didn't like each other. Grandpa called Grandma Butterball, and Grandma <laughs> called Grandpa Carrot Head. He was a redhead. Um, but apparently it wasn't too bad because they after they met it only took six months of dating and engagement and they were married that december so it was like from summer to december and they were married but just to see what kind of hostile environment they were going into they did their wedding there in in brazil in the city they're in in sobral and the wedding it was so unusual i mean a bunch of brazilians hadn't seen white people get married before and they're like what's going on so they went in there and crowded the place out. It was so full they couldn't even leave. And so they're trying to work their way out. Someone catches the veil on fire, so they put that out. And then they're throwing eggs and rice because people are upset because some of them couldn't be in to see it. So that's, that's kind of how it all started out. And then they, they went to a city called Kishatamobi, and this is where they spent eight years serving the Lord. And, and this is what is so hard for me to even understand the amount of faith and endurance it would take. But for eight years, they served in this city with pretty much no visible fruit because there was an extremely powerful Catholic priest, and the Catholic religion is the most powerful in Brazil. And this Catholic priest dominated this town. He said, no one will buy or sell in the marketplace if they hear this Protestant. If you accept the message of this Protestant, you'll get kicked out. There's days where he would walk around with a megaphone behind my grandparents, quoting, Behold, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he will devour. I mean, it's just craziness. And so they're, they're facing that kind of hostility. Kids will throw um, dirt on them, say they're a, a ghost. Um, I guess that's how you know if they're a ghost or not. You throw dirt at them or rocks. Um, but I think one of the stories that really stands out that my grandpa shared with me is, they decide to do an evangelistic campaign in the neighboring town. And so they go to the neighboring town. It's called Mombasa. And they set up this evangelistic campaign. They got the other missionary with them. And believe it or not, the Catholic priest from his town hired 15 gunmen to go and disrupt the service. So they, it kind of reminds me of Thessalonica, but they, they go from one city to the neighboring city to disturb the service. And the Catholic priest was a little nervous, so he decided to drink a lot of wine just to, you know, get over his nerves because he was going to kill the Protestants. And so they go over, they start the service. The 15 gunmen during the service start to leave one by one because they're like, wow, we can't do anything. We don't want to mess with this. They get cold feet. They leave. And so it's just the priest standing. When he realizes he's by himself, he starts to just shoot the gun in the air. 
and he won't let go of the gun, and so the police have to come and take him away. And then the mayor of that city comes to my grandpa and says, okay, we want you to finish this service. So he gets back up. They finish the service, and uh, we don't know how many people got saved, but we do know of one because he is the pastor in that city now, and he got saved during that service. And, and just an amazing story just of, of uh, faithfulness, of faithfulness in that. And my grandpa still loves the Word of God, and uh, he still loves the Scriptures. He loves Brazil, loves the people. He still teaches Sunday school regularly at his church. Now he's retired in the U.S., and he is going back to Brazil again this summer. He still keeps going back as much as he can to, to teach and to preach down there in Portuguese. And uh, just a few years ago when he was back and he was visiting that initial city of Mombasa, um, there was a small little church that had started up because the priest had finally passed away. And these two, two adults came up to him and they said, Do you remember us? And he's like, no. He's <laughs> like, where are the kids that used to throw rocks at you? You know, today, today we're believers in Jesus Christ. And what he found out was people were getting saved, but because of the priest, they were afraid. So either they left town or they stayed there but didn't say anything. And so it wasn't until later after the priest passed away that he found out just what God had done um, there. I think one of the most impactful events... Uh, towards the end of my high school time was when my grandparents came back to celebrate their 50th anniversary. And um, they came back and they did a service and there were hundreds of people who had been directly impacted by their ministry. They had served faithfully for over 20 years in northern Brazil. And as I looked over the crowd, I recognized many of them as pastors and leaders in churches and in families, individuals. And I was just blown away. And I said, this is an investment worth making. Because people are eternal. They'll spend an eternity either in heaven or separated from God in hell. And that really stuck with me to see the investment that they had made. They didn't have much for earthly possessions. In fact, they had really nothing. Um, But they had this amazing family of God, right, uh, to praise the Lord with. And so that was a huge impact in my life. Um, my My parents... My dad came to the U.S. after high school, and he went to college and seminary, and then he went back with my mom. And uh, just amazing man of God in leadership training and church planning. He worked in five churches in the north, and then as he felt God's call to go to southern Brazil, he decided to get one more team member in central Brazil. And while he was there for three years, he planted a church, and then he went to south. South Brazil, and uh, is planning two churches currently there. Simultaneously, he's always been involved in uh, seminary work, and uh, he worked for 20 years in the seminary up north, helped start the seminary in Central, and uh, Lord willing, his goal is to start a seminary in five to ten years in the south once uh, we're there with him as well. And so just really thankful for him, and I can't think of anyone just better to work with Uh, in this area of church planning and leadership training that we want to be involved with in South Brazil. My mom's a prayer warrior and evangelist and uh, super hospitable. She has pretty much shared the gospel with every neighbor of every house we've ever lived at. And uh, when I was finishing college, I went back to Brazil to the northern part to preach in a church there, and it was the church that had been planted in our neighborhood. 
And it was amazing to stand before that congregation and recognize about 20 of those faces because they were our neighbors. And I had played soccer with the kids, and Mom had reached out to all of them, done Bible studies and um, different means like that. So as we have, we have just a few minutes left, uh, let me just give you a really big overview, like a one-minute overview of where we want to go. And during the service, we're going to do a 15-minute presentation with pictures and everything so you can see exactly where we want to go, what we want to do, and why. Okay? And then there's a flyer in the back that has that information too, so you're more than welcome to take that. Uh, but we want to be missionaries to South Brazil. We want to do church planting and leadership training. And uh, we, we want to see these people come to know Christ. And uh, even more than that, most of South Brazil are people who immigrated from Europe, from Spain, Portugal, Italy, Germany. And we want to see them catch a vision to go back to their own people again, to go back to Europe, which is, is so dead uh, with the gospel right now. It's such a dead place, and, and we'd love to see them go back. And uh, that is like our long-term prayer, uh, is to see that happen. Um, that's what I got to witness in the north, in the north now where I was born and grew up, uh, where my parents ministered and my grandparents. There is a church base of 70 churches. Um, there is a seminary that's been fully functioning for over 50 years with um, over 100 to 200 graduates each year. And there is a mission agency that is sending missionaries from northern Brazil to Africa, since that's where most of the people uh, came from. Uh, so also giving them a vision for for their, their people as well. And so we had our first two Brazilian missionaries sent, supported by our Brazilian churches in the north, to uh, Mozambique and Cape Verde, because they speak Portuguese in those countries in Africa. And so that's thrilling. That's seeing it come full circle. Because we're training others so that they can then train others and share the gospel that way. So now I, I want to open it up, and if you guys have any questions whatsoever uh, about us or our ministry... Uh, whatever you like, however you want to, to get to know us better, uh, we're, we're open for that. I'll have you come up. <laughs> okay, yeah, so northern Brazil, um, you have... you have basically all the way down until about Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro would be more of your central. All the cities are on the coast pretty much. So, yeah, so that would be more of your central. And then south, there's only uh, three states. So pretty much anything south of Sao Paulo and Rio. <laughs> so the gospel originally came to Sao Paulo and Rio with other mission agencies, but that's kind of all that was there. So our mission focused on the northeast and, um, and now on the south because there's really nothing in the south. It's only 1%. I'm learning. Um, it's been hard with pregnancy brain, but yeah, I've been studying through Rosetta Stone, and I have a fun app on my phone. If anybody wants to learn a, another language, I'll tell you about it. It's really nice. Um, but yeah, learning, and I know the important things, like I love you, and um, can you do the dishes? <laughs> but I love languages, so I'm looking forward to being there and um, being immersed in it to really help it be solidified. Yeah, I've been twice, but to be there permanently. Yeah, Yeah, we've been twice now together to South Brazil. 
Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, we had churches where uh, different Sunday schools, whether adult or children's, would adopt us. And uh, we get packages at random key points of the year. <laughs> and those were always special. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know one church, uh, we, we're in the north, and we're just below the equator, so there's no seasons, okay? It's hot, hotter and hottest. That was about it. And, and we had a church where their Sunday school mailed a box of snowflakes, you know, the paper cutout ones? Like, just a ton of them. And so we strung them all over the house. So we had snow that year. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mom did put them in the freezer. But that was funny, too, because they're supposed to keep frozen. So, yeah. But it just, there's, there's fun stuff like that. And then missions teams are always a huge blessing. And uh, we've had multiple missions teams come throughout. And the amazing thing of working together as a team, we're joining a team in South Brazil, is that it's so much better to host a team that comes from the States. So we're not by ourselves trying to put together this whole thing, but we work together. And you'll see a picture of the current team down there, but it's a multinational team. we got four Americans, two Brazilian. So, um, But those, those are always exciting. And I think some of the most exciting missionary teams are when we go into public schools. There the public schools have religion classes, and they open it up. And so we'll tell them, like, hey, we got a great, you know, religion class we want to share with you and a cultural exchange and so we get in there and um, by the second time all the schools uh, are asking for us and and then they'll they'll give us like a whole two-hour thing and um, they just want to hear about America and so it's a good way to share about Christ and uh, what you do here. Uh, two weeks is usually good if it's a bigger team. Um, if it's just like one or two people or a couple that wants to come down, then you know it's flexible and um, you can go longer. But normally, if it's a team of ten to fifteen, two weeks is perfect, and you guys will be exhausted by the end. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I would say it's more positive. Uh, just because there's a lot more people there, and so there's a lot of outreach that's going to be taking place. Uh, where the city we're going to, both Allegri, they're one of the host cities, and so their stadium will be used, and uh, a lot of the hotels around where we're at will be used, and so it'll just be, and even economically, it's a huge boost to the economy with that. Um, I know there's also the other side where. I don't know how much news you guys are watching on the Brazil Cup, but um, there's the school system isn't as good as it should be, and so there's been a lot of complaints like stop investing money in FIFA World Cup and start investing it in our schools. But we got we got the Olympics coming as well in 2006, 2016. So yeah, yeah. Um, let me, let me get the, the Brazil one real quick, and then I'll talk about BGFM. But I'm glad you brought that up because Brazil is really, I mean, it's really getting on the map, and uh, it's a really growing country, a lot going on there, and it's a super exciting time. And where we're going in the south, it is actually the wealthiest state and the highest literacy rate, 97% literacy, mostly middle class, um, not as many poor. So it's not what you typically think of with Brazil. 
And that, that really excites us because these people have the means to, to be uh, really effective both in a seminary and in sending out missionaries. And as a Brazilian citizen, I am a Brazilian citizen, I can go anywhere in the world without a problem. Brazil is at peace with every country in the world. <laughs> They've never fought a war. They actually didn't even fight their war for independence. They just wrote back to Portugal and said, hey, we want to be our own country. They're like, okay. So there was ne they've never fought a war. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we, I mean, Brazil is very strategic for the nations, and we're starting to send more missionaries into Muslim countries because we can go there. So, so that's, that's a, a big plus. Um, BJFM is the mission we want to go to. It's called Brazil Gospel Fellowship Mission, and it is only in Brazil. And it is a smaller mission. It is based out of a church in Springfield, Illinois. We have about 30 missionaries. Our focus is exclusively in church planning and leadership training. And that's what we're putting all of our effort, all of our resources into. And so that's what we're passionate about. My grandparents were one of the first missionaries with them. They started in about 1950, and my grandma went down in 1953. So uh, one of the very first ones. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate having a small mission, and that means a lot less on the, we don't have to pay very much to an agency. So pretty much all of our support that people send come, come to the, the mission field. Do we have time for one more question, or are we, are we up? One more? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'll have some prayer requests at the end of our presentation uh, after... The service, so I'll put something that's not on there yet. Um, obviously, we can't go until we have our support, <laughs> so so that's that's a big one. But I think in that, the importance of exalting Christ and keeping Him first and center. Um, when you're raising support and you're going around and, and uh, meeting people, if you don't have the right focus, it gets really messed up fast, and you start you know. Should I have said this? Should I have said that? You know, um, am I just talking to them for the money? And you just don't want to go there. And so just pray for our own hearts that we would, we would really make this all about Christ because that's what we want it to be. It is all about him and his name being made known among the nations. And uh, we want people who are passionate and excited about that and who want to partner with us because of Christ. So uh, excellent question. Thank you. What? Oh, yes. And, oh, yeah, just wanted to add a, a request, too, and, and it's a really good one. <laughs> really important one. Um, we, and also just we've been getting some pushback from my family now as they start to realize that we actually are working to move to Brazil. So just that um, as we continue to visit and love on them, that we'd be able to share the gospel with them and even just um, accurately portray Christ because uh, for unbelievers it looks really foolish to – uproot yourself and go to a totally different place in the world. Um, and we don't want them to feel abandoned, but we want our love for Christ to be on display in that. So that's another thing you can be praying for. Go ahead and just stay up here for a second. Uh, what an exciting opportunity, isn't it? This is just, just neat to have this ground-level work. We appreciate it. Let me pray for both of you, and uh, we'll uh, dismiss for a short time. Gracious Lord and Savior, what a wonderful day it's been so far just to hear the heart of these two and their desire to serve you and uh, your faithfulness for three generations and the impact that has may that challenge each one of us in uh, our desire for you and our desire to impact generations beyond just who we are 
Uh, may the rest of this day be honoring to you. May we learn about you through the Stuckies and through the rest of our missionaries. And uh, God, you, uh, you know their needs. Uh, you know the humility that they need to have through this process. You, knew, you know the issues related to family, especially with Jess, and it is in your hands. We pray that you get glory and honor because of it in your name. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you. We'll see you back here at uh, 1045.